There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Good morning. Roto experts. To the end zone. The mark of fantasy excellence. You have to be careful about who you think is stepping forward on the depth chart. It's caught for a touchdown. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Good day and welcome back to the Roto Experts Daily Podcast. For today, February 4th, Monday, 2019, post-Super Bowl Sunday. And, of course, you can check rotoexperts.com, NFL 365, uh, beginning this week for all the off-season coverage that you need. Keeper, Dynasty Columns, the top 100 fantasy football players of 2018 is archived, so you can check that out. Uh, lots more coming from our staff this week. So make sure you make rotoexperts.com your home for NFL 365. So, yesterday's Super Bowl, uh, not what everybody expected. Uh, Of course, uh, all over Twitter, everybody was making jokes about the under. As uh, the Patriots coming up with one of the best defensive performances in the history of the Super Bowl, holding the Rams to just three points in a 13-3 victory. Uh, Tom Brady did not get the MVP this time as uh, as he looked more just like a game manager and actually had a really poor first half. But uh, defensively, one of the better performances I've ever seen. Uh, in my opinion, uh, people will call it biased, but uh, usually I'm able to win the debate. Uh, I believe the Seattle Seahawks' defensive performance in Super Bowl forty-eight was the most dominant defensive performance of all time in the history of the Super Bowl when you considered that they played against Peyton Manning and a record-setting offense and uh, nearly shut them out. Uh, I think it's really hard to debate against. Uh, of course, the 85 Bears uh, putting one, together one of the most dominant defensive performances in the history of the Super Bowl, but this will definitely have to go down as one of the, top, in my opinion, one of the top three or four defensive performances in the history of the Super Bowl. The Rams will obviously, uh, were obviously missing Cooper Cup here, I think. Uh, Jared Goff just played a terrible game. The Rams scored just three points. They really haven't been the same offensively since they lost Cup, since the bye week, etc. They were averaging 26 points per game in the playoffs but uh, not nearly as explosive as they were uh, during the regular season. I think the uh, the fact that Todd Gurley uh, he was not playing consistently and the fact that they didn't have Cooper Cup, I think those are two things that uh, really hurt them because the defense certainly played well enough for the Rams to win the Super Bowl. It was the offense that certainly didn't. Uh, all the two weeks long up to the game, I was questioning openly 
about whether Jared Goff was ready for this big stage, and it turned out that he didn't, that he wasn't ready for this big stage. Uh, those of you who read my Super Bowl preview on rotoexperts.com, I had said that the, the Patriots were going to try to load up to stop the run and put the game in the hands of Jared Goff, and that's exactly what they did, and it worked to perfection. They were not biting on any play-action fakes. The coverage was terrific, and to me, I actually asked the question, Is was Julian Edelman the Super Bowl MVP? Not to take anything away from Julian Edelman, who had a spectacular statistical performance with 10 catches for 141 yards, but was he really the most valuable player? Because when he racked up a lot of those catches, the Patriots still had three points. On the game-winning, what turned out to be the game-winning drive for them, where they scored the touchdown, Edelman had one catch. Gronkowski had two catches on that drive. To me, defense really won the game for the New England Patriots. When you look at that play that McCourty made on Brandon Cooks in the end zone, and then Stephen Gilmore with the tight coverage on Brandon Cooks uh, near the end zone, and then the big interception, I believe that the secondary had to be represented, that the defense had to be represented as the Super Bowl MVP. So for me, look, Julian Edelman played a great game. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But I don't believe his overall performance contributed enough to the bottom line for the Patriots' victory. So I believe the secondary has to be represented because they played an absolutely outstanding game. I think Stephen Gilmore should have been named the Super Bowl MVP. But a lot of times, you know, in MVPs in all sports, they're going to point to who had the best statistics. And Julian Edelman had the best statistics. To me, the most valuable player is the guy that they couldn't have won the game without. And I don't think they couldn't have won the game without the, the way Stephen Gilmore and that secondary played. Uh, I think awarding it to Stephen Gilmore would have been an award for the secondary for the for the play that McCourty made in the end zone. Those were the most valuable plays, I believe, of Super Bowl Fifty Three. Now, could the Patriots have won this game without Julian Edelman? Uh, I think you could make a debate that they that they actually could have because. They really didn't. They only scored 13 points on offense. Edelman had uh, two catches on the first field goal drive and one on the game winning drive. He put up some great numbers, but on a lot of his drives, the Patriots weren't able to convert them into points. Look, that's not Edelman's fault, but Edelman didn't have enough of a hand in game winning scenarios for me to vote for him as the MVP. So, Stephen Gilmore. He would have got my vote as the most valuable player. As the most outstanding player, it was it was definitely Julian Edelman. Uh, I've made this argument in other sports, like in 2015 when Bryce Harper won the MVP in Major League Baseball. I don't believe he was the most valuable player. Uh, there were a lot of games down the stretch that Washington needed to win to win the division, and Bryce Harper came up empty in a lot of those games, but he put up the best stats. He wasn't the most valuable player that year. I think he put up the best stats. So I think the MVP award becomes too much about the best stats 
and not who really is the most valuable player. In Super Bowl Forty Nine, you could have made an argument that Malcolm Butler was the MVP. But then again, Peyton Brady had put them ahead and brought them back from a 14-point deficit. So that's a little more iffy. But would the Patriots won the Super Bowl without Malcolm Butler? No. Would the Patriots have won the Super Bowl without Tom Brady? No. So it's harder for me to argue that. But uh, I believe that Stephen Gilmore was the MVP last night. So moving on to that Todd Gurley situation. Todd Gurley with just 10 carries. For 35 yards, wasn't a factor in the receiving game either. One carry for minus one yard. Meanwhile, C.J. Anderson was not a factor either. Seven carries for 22 yards. And uh, he caught two passes for 12 yards, which is a lot for C.J. Anderson. Gurley insisted that after the game that physically that he was feeling fine and that he knows a lot of speculation has come out about it. but. It wasn't a physical thing. I, I don't believe the Rams are forthcoming about this. I don't think they're telling the truth. Uh, I don't think Gurley was 100%, and neither does anybody who watched the game with the naked eye. Like I said in the NFC Championship game, how can you possibly take out Todd Gurley to play him part-time with C.J. Anderson when Todd Gurley is a superstar, an MVP candidate? Uh, he was It was down to him and, uh, two, and two others for the MVP and NFL honors on Saturday night, which ultimately Pat Mahomes won that award. There's no way, there's no way that I can believe as an experienced football analyst that Todd Gurley was 100%. We saw him limping at some points. They talked about him being on the bike at, at some points on the sideline. I don't believe Todd Gurley is healthy. Now, what the big fantasy conversation came about this on Twitter from a lot of fantasy analysts they were saying that this knocks down Todd Gurley's draft stock for next season. I, I don't think it automatically does. You know, if we find out this is some sort of significant major knee injury, which I don't think it is, but I can't speculate on the guy's health, how could it, how could it really play into next season? I, we lost Gurley down the stretch fantasy-wise, and people are going to remember that, and they're going to remember the Super Bowl, but... If Todd Gurley looks healthy in the preseason next year and all you know all eyeball tests indicate that he's doing he's doing fine, I think you still have to consider him the number one pick. You know, some fantasy analysts were saying, How can I take this number one guy this guy number one next year? His stock is dropping. You know, we're we're talking about what Todd Gurley's gonna look like in August, okay? That's six months away. That has nothing to do with his health. Right now, uh, in February, look, the uh, the Rams were not forthcoming with their information, but at the, at the same time, I really don't see what it has to do with his draft stock for next season, when he's got six months to maybe get a scope or something like that, and it'll be fine for training camp. Why, why would I consider Todd Gurley strongly as a number one overall pick? Now, me personally... Uh, I want I want Ezekiel Elliott. Now, if we're going to split hairs here, I want a guy with a long track record who showed me some durability. And the only way I can see what Gurley playing in is is if uh, if you're really splitting hairs here, and you know Gurley 
Gurley's a little bit of health here at the end of the season. Maybe that splits the difference for you. But to me, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, just had a superb, superb season. Uh, I've never seen any durabilities with him issues ever. Uh, became more of a pass catcher this year. Has more of a track record than Saquon Barkley. Uh, but then again, you know, talking it through, it's a tough decision. Why wouldn't I consider Gurley number one if I if I know that he's healthy? If I'm drafting right now for next year, uh, I'd say Ezekiel Elliott because I don't know the, the state of Todd Gurley's knee. But you know, talk talking it through, you know, and thinking it through here with, with you guys listening to this. Uh, Todd Gurley is, you know, he's never been labeled as injury prone or anything like that. Uh, really, until this season. You know, we hadn't seen anything like that, that happen. And anybody can get in, injured at any time in a violent sport. I always say that some guys are more injury prone than others. But how can it really affect Todd Gurley's outlook for next season? If I know he's 100% healthy, how do I split the hairs between him and Ezekiel Elliott? You know, both of those guys can put up tremendous numbers. Uh, Gurley plays in a better offense. He's more proven as a pass receiver. but. You know, after seeing what Elliott did this past year, I th- I think it's hard to pass on him as well. You know, let, let, let's forget the fact, you know, if we're looking for that next year uh, with Todd Gurley, that he got hurt for the postseason this year. You know he's healthy for next year. Why not consider him for number one? How did I split number one? How did number two and number three? Well, you know, Saquon Barkley has just done this for one year. Uh, it, it's a really, really tough decision between those three. Todd, what I'm, my point is ultimately here that I'm digressing with a lot and uh, going on a lot about is that that Todd Gurley still con- deserves to be considered uh, number one for next season. Uh, I don't think what you're seeing in February should dictate what happens in, in July and August. I think we have to see... Uh, how the Cowboys' offense will change? Will they get another pass receiver? Uh, in the off season, what are the Giants going to do with quarterback? And with the Rams, I think if Gurley comes back healthy, I look at him as the same guy that helped me win fantasy championships last year, and that got me to a fantasy Super Bowl this year. He was the best running back in fantasy football again. Uh, before he got hurt. I really can't just let this injury affect my outlook. When you say, Scott, you got to make a decision right now. You were drafting today. Uh, I'd, pr- I'd probably put uh, put Barkley three because he's just done it for one season. And, you know, we've seen some inconsistency with the running. Uh, then it comes down to really Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott. And... Who do I believe is going to give me the best combination of uh, of rushing and receiving yards? And I slightly believe that Ezekiel Elliott is a bigger crux of his offense than Todd Gurley is. Todd Gurley plays in a better offense, but I believe Ezekiel Elliott is just a little bit bigger part of his team team's offense. So how am I ranking him going into next year? Uh, I'll probably go Ezekiel Elliott number one, uh, Todd Gurley number two. And I'll go Saquon Barkley number three. I'm not going to bump down Todd Gurley in my yearly rankings for next season when he was injured at the end of this season, unless I find out it was a major injury.
Jared Goff plays a very, very bad game. As everybody already knows, really, really missed Cooper Cup since week 12. And not having a healthy girly, everything went on Goff's shoulders, and he couldn't handle it. You got to look, Goff ended up as QB9 this year, played really well to week 12, but you got to surround him with more playmakers uh, consistently. Woods and Cooks were, were basically taken out of the game in a lot of big spots uh, by a terrific performance by that New England Patriots secondary. C.J. Anderson, you know, just can't strike fear in the heart of a defense or come up with, uh, you know, big plays like Todd Gurley can, who ran better than Anderson yesterday, even with a sparse amount of carries. You just saw that he was more talented. C.J. Anderson will be a free agent. It'll be interesting to see. We go after a starting job somewhere else. He had a nice little cup of coffee here with the Rams, but in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl, he kind of wore down and maybe showed a little bit why uh, teams didn't stick with him. So maybe he comes back to the Rams as a backup for uh, for Todd Gurley, and then you know who your handcuff is. Brandon Cooks, eight catches for 120 yards, but uh, really ended up... Uh, you know, being the, the the goat, and I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean goat like in bad when uh when he couldn't make any make uh the game winning catch when the ball bounced off his hands when it was really something that he should have caught. Yeah, there was some talk about pass interference, etc. But he really should have caught that ball. So good numerical game for Brandon Cooks, but really couldn't come through in the clutch. Uh, Robert Woods, five catches for 70 yards, put up pretty good numbers, but you know, this team really, uh, didn't have any yards after the catch. We weren't able to do anything deep, uh, because the, the Patriots secondary played so well, uh, what they did strategically and Tony Romo talked about it is they loaded up against They, uh, you know, they played a front with an extra linebacker to guard against the run and then put two safety's high to guard against the downfield pass, and it just worked perfectly. And they were continually harassing Jared Goff, who really really couldn't deal with the pressure, uh, played very badly, a lot of misfires. And uh, look, the uh, Goff made some significant strides forward this year, but at the same time... uh, there's really a blueprint for how to defend him now. And, uh, you know, the Rams are going to have to go back to the drawing board now and figure out a way here uh, when the running game isn't clicking, how Jared Koff can copy this team because the Patriots certainly set a blueprint for how to defend him. But uh, Cooper Cup is a guy that they really, really missed during the playoffs. And uh, I'm going to like a lot for fantasy purposes going into next season. Uh, this team is going to be a little bit better or a lot better, and it's just going to be a different Rams team when you look about uh, look look at everybody being healthy there with Todd Gurley and Cooper Cup. Those guys uh, just not being there, one not being there, and another not being fully healthy. Well, that just made a huge, huge difference for the outlook of that team. Going over to the uh, to the the uh, Patriots side of the ball. Congratulations to the New England Patriots and their fans. Six-time Super Bowl champions. Uh, it's become a national pastime to root against the Patriots. I don't know what anybody else could say today. I've sort of seen some talk about social media about the refs. There were no obvious calls there in, with the referees. 
really decided the game. Some people were talking about when Jared Goff got hit out of bounds. Doesn't matter. Uh, the way Jared Goff played, if they would have got a first down, they might have not scored anyway. He didn't. He and the Rams didn't do nothing else to win the enough else to win the game offensively. So you know the the refs. That's a bunch of garbage. If you're complaining about the refs today, uh, Tom Brady twenty one to thirty five. Uh, just hit the under on that uh, on the prop bet about whether he was going to go thirty six attempts or over that we're talking about on the Sunday edition of the Roto Experts in the morning. Two hundred sixty two passing yards. No touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Brady's interception came on the first pass of of the the very first pass of the game, and uh, Brady Brady got uh, knocked around in the pocket, hit a lot. But after the first pass of the game, he really didn't make any mistakes. Brady was in game manager mode uh, yesterday, and he said he's coming back for next season. He confirmed that. As far as a fantasy quarterback, you know, the numbers were very, very disappointing this year. I'm not sure I can even rate uh, top, Tom Brady a top 12 fantasy quarterback for next year when you look at how deep the position is. Sony Michelle, uh, 18 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. Just missed by six yards, uh, becoming the second running back uh, besides Arian Foster to have three 100-yard games in a postseason, but set a rookie record for most touchdowns in a postseason with six. Sony Michelle got better as the season went on and saved his best for the biggest stage. That is going to push him into high-end RB2 territory for next year. And uh, he's got a draft in Boston. Some people are going to draft him as a number one. Uh, I liked Sony Michelle a lot in everything I saw this season. Helped me win a fantasy championship as well. But uh, what we have to remember is, is that Sony Michelle does get banged up. It does go back to college. He had a great postseason, but throughout the course of the regular season, you know, the Patriots are going to be careful with him. And, you know, they're going to save him for a run like this. And when they when they, when they they really broke Sony Michelle out of the bubble wrap more than anything and, you know, really gave him those important carries. But, you know, we, we saw Rex Burkhead get his touches. We saw James White get his touches. Uh, what I'm trying to say is he will still be part of a committee, but he'll be the lead guy in that committee, and he'll be the number one goal linebacker in offense that moves a lot into scoring position. I think if we knew he was a clear number one back without anybody else getting any carries and maybe caught passes, I could say he's an RB1, but I, I really like him as a high-end RB2. Rex Burkhead, seven carries for 43 yards uh, yesterday, and also two catches for 15 yards uh, 68 yards from scrimmage. Uh, if you used him in, uh, in any sort of daily game as sort of a punt, you really didn't get a lot of upside. James White was really taken out of the game by the Rams. Uh, two catches, two carries for four yards and one catch for five yards. He was really well covered out of the backfield consistently. We talked about this yesterday uh, on the Roto Experts in the morning, and I talked about it all week, uh, that the Rams linebackers covered really well. Jim Days threw out some really uh, interesting t- statistics in that regard. But I think everybody was talking about the game, about how the Rams would crush the pocket, get a good pass rush, and Brady would have to flare it out to James White. I think I think uh, if we knew that as fans and as analysts, I think Wade Phillips was well aware of that and he was well prepared for it. But White's still going to get his. 
Uh, you gotta like him, at, but would, do you like? Do I like him as an RB two for next year? I think the Patriots went to him a lot out of necessity during the first half of the season, early in the early in the playoffs. If they can get another pass receiver, another downfield threat, kind of bolster that passing game in free agency, then uh, that's really gonna affect White White's outlook for two thousand nineteen. So. Uh, if you're considering him as a keeper, usually your keeper deadlines are not until the summer. And I think you're going to have to wait. And we're going to have to wait and see on that. Okay, so uh, moving on to the receivers. We mentioned Adelman, 10 catches for 141 yards. Uh, the guy is now second all-time in receiving yards, as well as continuing to be all-time second in receptions uh, for all, all play, all wide receivers in the postseason all-time. And uh, Edelman, I said it before, I'll say it again. The guy is a future Hall of Famer, and uh, he's a top-end fantasy wide receiver, too, in PPR formats. Rob Gronkowski, six catches for 87 yards, uh, saved his best games for the final uh, the final two games of the year. Uh, really, those are like two of his best games, uh, but certainly during the second half in the NFC, the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. And uh, Gronk said he's going to wait, wait a week or two to decide. Uh, they showed that they can still make important throws for him if he returns next year. He's definitely outside the top three in fantasy. Uh, could very well be outside of the top seven in fantasy. He should still be top ten, but that's considering uh, the state of the position if he does somehow return. Uh, we didn't see anything from Chris Hogan yesterday as he was very well covered. Throughout the game, Chris Colgan's turned out to be a big, big disappointment. Uh, I actually used him as a daily play yesterday, and I was uh, very, very disappointed by his output. Chris Hogan has been nothing but a big bust in New England. But like I said, uh, I think the Patriots have some things to address here in the offseason that we'll have to keep an eye on fantasy-wise. The running back field is set. But what do they do with wide receiver here? Because they obviously need somebody besides Edelman. Do they go after somebody significant in free agency? Do uh, If Gronk doesn't return, do they go after a Jared Cook? Or do they, do they maybe even go after Tyler Eifert, who is a free agent? And uh, in the receiving game, how do they play replace Josh Gordon? You know, there's already public reports out there suggesting that, suggested that uh, that Gordon could be reinstated for next year, but how will we know what to get from him? How will we know if we can depend on him? It's way too early to speculate. Depend is not a word that you associate with Josh Gordon. I think it's a bonus if the Patriots or another team can uh, get anything out of Josh Gordon next year. You know, maybe they take maybe they take a take a flyer on in free agency on a big fast receiver like Terrell Williams, but I think it's obvious that the Patriots uh, need to have something else in the passing game to stretch the field because Brady really couldn't go deep at all uh, more than twice when he wasn't able to really get Hogan at all. Brady doesn't throw the deep ball like he used to. You know, that's what Nikel Roby Coleman said. But uh, he really doesn't have any deep receivers. So you gotta you have to surround him with the playmakers if you want him to make the plays. So the Patriots going to come back, try to win a seventh Super Bowl with Tom Brady, and everybody talks about how Brady uh, now has six rings, etc. But uh, to me, this was kind of like a Peyton Manning, almost like a Peyton Manning type performance when uh, he played in his final Super Bowl. Uh, the, this was really about defense 
more than anything. Brady is the guy who was on the podium at the end of the game and the one they interviewed first at the end of the game because the quarterback gets all the glory. But to me, it was really about defense that won the Super Bowl. And uh, like I said, with Steven Gilmore, uh, to me, he was the true MVP. Not to take anything away from Julian Edelman. I have a tremendous amount of respect from him. Uh, but I, I just, like I was saying earlier in the show, I believe the secondary really, really played well yesterday. Uh, if I could, I would give it to a combination of McCourty and Gilmore, possibly. But uh, Gilmore made the most, two of the most important plays in the game and was really good coverage throughout the game. Uh, didn't let end up any big plays at all. Uh, and, and neither did the secondary. You got to give them credit, especially when they when they lost uh, Chung to the injury. I I wondered if uh, they were going to be able to test the secondary more downfield, but it just didn't happen. On that on that, that final drive, you could you could tell Jared Goff was getting desperate, and the only thing that he could do was try to float passes to Jared Cook. I mean to Brandon Cooks, and it just didn't work. Brandon Cooks put up some very good numbers. In what it was a revenge game for him yesterday. He got the fantasy numbers, but he was a big, big disappointment when it really, really counted. He was not able to come up clutch. And that's the difference between winning a winning team and a losing team. The Rams played losing football. Brandon Cooks dropped a pass that he should have caught when it counted. And that is the difference. Not the referees and one singular hit. That that kind of talk is just silly. The other uh, big piece of NFL news that came out is that the Rams have decided that they, the Raiders have decided that they want to play in San Francisco next year at uh, at the San Francisco Giants home stadium, as uh, as Oakland is not going to do them any favors in this uh, in this nasty sort of breakup here, because the Raiders stadium is supposedly will be open and in, uh, and ready for the twenty twenty season in Las Vegas, but there are still some hurdles for that to uh, finally happen. The 49ers have to sign off on the territorial rights. Will they do it? Uh, we, and the NFL still has to prove that as well. So we're going to have to wait and see where uh, the Raiders are ultimately going to play. This is a this is a very sorry ending in Oakland for uh, an overrated franchise that has just really not been... Uh, not not lived up to its reputation since the 1980s. Uh, they haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. Uh, being a Raider fan used to be a badge of of uh, of pride, but you know now now being a Raider fan is it? How is it? How is it any different than really uh, you know being a Jets fan or or something like that? Because uh, you know the Jets the Jets fans can point to their one Super Bowl from 50 years ago which any fan under 65, if they root for the Jets, never actually saw it happen. Uh, most Raider fans of, uh, of you say, probably the last time we saw them win was 1983. So if you're a Raider fan, 40 years or older or under, you, you, you never saw them win either. You know, they, they got to the Super Bowl in 2002 and they lost. You know, the Raiders, you know, for those fans who's, Still talk about them like they're tough and just win baby and the three Super Bowls. That stuff's all rusty and in the past. The Raiders have not been a good team for the last decade and a half. Uh, they have not been a consistently good team since the 1980s. 
And uh, now for them to go out in Oakland like this, it, uh, it, it's just embarrassing. And uh, you know, what's going to happen to all these fans uh, who are actually tougher than the team in the end zone? What's going to happen to them? Are they going to are they going to drive out to Vegas every week? Probably. Uh, I was a Raider fan. I would absolutely be disgusted by what's going on here. So, yeah, for them to move to Vegas, not make it work in Oakland, you know, I guess there's some people may feel that they deserve it. But uh, you know, we'll wait and see. You know, maybe they'll play in San Francisco for a year, and everybody can make the trip from Oakland to San Francisco. No major fantasy baseball news. Uh, there's talk about. Uh, the Reds maybe uh, acquiring JT Real Muto, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we we see it happen again where JT Real Muto plays another season in a Marlins uniform. Uh, I would not be shocked. You know, we we all of the, the talks have been more aggressive this off season. Uh, you know, Real Muto, we talked heard talks about him last year all throughout the season, and he still ended up Miami. Miami wants a lot for him. But uh, we are less than two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting, getting very close to the start of exhibition games. Uh, for those of you looking for fantasy baseball coverage from Roto Experts, I'll still be talking about it on the podcast here and on RotoExperts.com. We're going to be pointing to uh, we're going to be pointing to some of our uh, favorite partners for you to still get fantasy baseball advice, uh, draft tips, etc. And of course, uh, you'll be able to see that on the Fantasy Sports Network. So uh, thanks again for listening uh, today to the Roto Experts Podcast. We'll be here five days a week. Don't forget the live Sunday edition with myself and Joe Kalina every Sunday on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, 8 to 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll see you on Tuesday. 